Thank you for the rich time we've had of worshiping you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this morning already. And now we want to worship you in the word as we see more of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. And so would you come now, Lord, I desperately need your help. Give me wisdom. Give me your heart. Help me to be faithful to the scriptures. And Lord, move in all of our hearts now. We know Satan wants to pluck this word right out of our hearts. Satan wants to distract us and preoccupy us and divert our attention. Lord, don't let that happen. We know that warfare, spiritual warfare is taking place right now as we open up your word. And so move upon us, Lord, with your power so that we hear. And just like Aaron shared, that we understand and that we respond and we trust and we love. So show us your glory. Meet us in the word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. And if you need a Bible, we want to bring one to you. So raise your hand if you need one. We want you to have a copy of the Bible in front of you so you can be studying with us. And in the Bibles we're passing out, Philippians chapter 2 is on page 980. So go ahead and turn there. Keep your hands up. We'll make sure we get a Bible to you. If you need one, good. Now in this chapter, Paul describes an event which every single one of us in this room will experience in the future. What Paul says in this chapter is that the day is coming at the end of history when you will stand before Jesus Christ. This is absolutely certain. Every single one of us in this room, every human being who has ever lived and ever will live, at the end of history, you will stand before Jesus Christ, face to face, personally. This will happen. And you will see him before you as fully God, You will see that he has always existed with no beginning from eternity past and that he is infinite in power and that he has complete sovereign authority over everything. So you will see him as fully God. And you will also see him as fully man. Right? You'll understand just as as seeing him that even though he was fully God, to save us from our sins... He humbled himself to become a man who could die on the cross so we could be forgiven. You will see him, fully God, fully man. And you will also recognize that God raised him from the dead after he died on the cross, gave him the name which is above every name, the name Lord. And so at that moment, as you're standing before Jesus Christ, you will see that here before you is the true Lord of the universe. And so whether you are a Christian or not, whether you have submitted to Jesus' lordship or not, at that moment, you will see he is the Lord. He has been the Lord. You'll understand that. You'll see that. You'll feel that. You will know that. That day is coming. And for those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ, who have submitted to his lordship, that day will be a day of great joy. Because when you see him, face to face, eyes to eyes, no more through a mirror dimly, face to face, when you see him in his glory, 
and his love and his power and his mercy. All your trials will be worth it at that moment. All your battles against sin and unbelief will be worth it. All the suffering you have experienced from being a bold witness for Christ will be worth it. And you will see him and you will be filled with joy at that moment. Those of you who have trusted Christ and have submitted to him as your Lord. But those of you who have not trusted Christ and who have not submitted to him as Lord, for, for you it will not be a time of great joy. You'll be there, but it won't be a time of great joy. Jesus said what it would be. He said it would be a time of weeping and mourning and gnashing of your teeth. And, and the reason is because you will see that he is the Lord, and I have not submitted to him, and I have rebelled against him, and I have not trusted him, and you will know that you are going to face eternal punishment. Now, God cares about us, each of us. He loves you. And that's why he had Paul write these words ahead of time. Okay? And that's why he has you here this morning. Because he wants you to understand he loves you, he cares about you. He wants you to understand that if you're not trusting Jesus Christ now, if you're not submitted to Jesus as Lord, he wants you to be warned that Jesus is the Lord so that you will turn and trust him as Lord today. Okay? That's why you're here. The only reason here, but that's the most important reason why you're here. So he wants to warn, lovingly warn, those who are not trusting Christ that this day is coming because he wants you to turn and trust his son and be forgiven and be welcomed into his presence forever. And for those of you who are trusting Christ, he wants you to hear about this ahead of time so you'll be encouraged. So you'll know, this is where it's all going. This world is not my home. Suffering here, trials here, battling sin here, this is not forever. Heaven's coming. Jesus is coming. He wants you to be encouraged. So God had Paul write these words ahead of time to warn, to lovingly warn those who are not trusting Christ and to gently and tenderly encourage those who are trusting Christ. That's why God had Paul write this passage. So let's look at what Paul wrote. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Here's what he says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, two weeks ago, we covered verses 5 through 7. And so today, we're going to focus on verses 8 through 11. And at the beginning of verse 8, notice what Paul says. He says that Jesus was found in human form. So what does that mean, that Jesus was found in human form? Okay, in verse 6, Paul says that before Jesus was in human form, he was in the form of God. But that Jesus did not count that equality with God a thing to be grasped, Okay, but made himself nothing. So before Jesus took on human form, he was in the form of God. He was equal to God. He was fully God in every way. So think about this. Jesus, fully God. Just like God the Father, Jesus had always existed from eternity past with no beginning. He was infinite in power. He was absolutely sovereign over everything. Jesus Christ was fully God. Okay, but there was a problem. All of us have sinned against an infinitely glorious God. You have, I have, all of us have sinned against an infinitely glorious God, and so we deserve infinite punishment. That's what we deserve. And so the only way we could be forgiven was if a sinless being, God, became a man, humbled himself to that point, lived sinlessly, and became a man so he could die on the cross. That's infinite punishment. That's the only way we could be forgiven. And Jesus loves us. Oh, you got to see this. He loves you. He cares about you. And that's why he was willing to lower himself from being fully God. He laid aside all of his divine powers and privileges, became a man, and died on the cross so that we could be forgiven for our sins, reconciled to God, have our hearts changed, know him forever. That's what Jesus did, and so he became a man. He loved us so much, he was willing to do that. And so, as we read in verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking on human flesh with all of its limitations. So that's what it means in verse 8, where Jesus was found in human form. He had been fully God, he still was fully God, but he laid that aside to become fully man. Now, two weeks ago we used this illustration to try to make it more real. Imagine that you laid aside your human powers and abilities and privileges and became a banana slug. Okay, remember two weeks ago? All right, Santa Cruz Mountain, banana slugs, about that long, bright orange, okay? Now, that would be a huge lowering of yourself. I mean, to really lay aside the abilities, the powers that you had as, as a human being and to really become a banana slug, that would be a massive lowering of yourself, right? We can't even conceive of what that would mean. But see, for a human to become a, man, a banana slug is nothing compared to the lowering that it meant for God, Jesus Christ, God the Son, to become a man. That's an infinite lowering. And that's what Jesus did for us. So that's what it meant for Jesus to be found in human form. But that's not all that Jesus did. What else did he do? Read all of verse 8. Being found in human form... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so Jesus humbled himself down, 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 down to become a man. And then at that point, he humbled himself even further to become obedient to the point of death. And not just any death, but Paul emphasizes death on the cross. 
Now, all of Paul's readers would have known exactly what that meant because they lived in Philippi, a Roman colony. Crucifixion was a horrifying, long, horrid means of death that the Romans perfected for the worst of the worst criminals. And so all of Paul's readers would have seen crucifixions. When they read Paul's words, even death on a cross, they would have went, oh, horror would have filled them. The problem, though, for us is that we're not familiar with what was involved with death on the cross. And so to understand what Paul wants us to get from this passage, let me just unfold for you, as painful as it is, uh, what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross. Now, as I explain this, I want you to understand something. You should not be feeling sorry for Jesus as I describe this, because Jesus, at any point of this process, could have called a halt to the whole thing and been right back with the Father in heaven, and we would have all been damned forever. He could have done that at any moment through this process. So at every moment through the crucifixion, Jesus loved us, and chose to continue, and loved us, and chose to continue, and loved us, and chose to continue. It started with Jesus being scourged, tied up to a post with his arms, outer garments taken off, and then a, a, a whip which had balls of lead, and shards of glass, and sharp stones at the end of the strands of the whip. Uh, And the reason they did that was to make it worse, make the whipping worse, and so that it would tear the flesh. And so if you can imagine, I've never felt anything like this, but if you can imagine one flash of that across your back, and Jesus loved us, and he continued. And 39 lashes, one short of what they thought would kill someone. Next, Jesus was blindfolded by the soldiers and beaten. Made his face and his head into a punching bag. And Jesus loved us. And he chose to continue. Then they took him to a public hilltop. And they nailed his wrists uh, to the side beam and his feet to the vertical beam, and they lifted up the cross to stand upright. And he loved us. He could have been gone at that point, but he was going to continue the process until the debt of sin was paid, until the punishment was paid, until it was finished. So he continued. The worst was still to come, because in that position... You can't breathe unless you lift yourself up. And so the only way he could take a breath would be by pushing up on the nail in his feet and pulling up on the nails in his wrists. And so, which would obviously cause unbearable, unspeakable pain. And so he took a breath. And imagine that for five minutes. But Jesus loved us. See, I want to highlight this because we always battle to to believe whether Jesus loves us or not. 
He loves us. Look at the cross. He loves us. You're going through trials right now. He loves you. He's calling you to obey him in a way that's costly. He loves you. He loves you. No one can look at the cross and think he doesn't love us. He loves us. And so that went on for six hours. Breathing. Should I just suffocate? Or should I experience the pain of taking another breath? Is the decision he has to make. And he loves us. And he continued until the debt of your sin and my sin was paid. And he cried out, it is finished! Finished! And then he died. That's what Jesus did. And the readers of this letter in Philippi, and I hope now you and all of us will understand what Paul says when he says he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. But the story does not end there. What did God the Father do? Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and God the Father highly exalted him. Jesus was a corpse in the tomb, and God raised him from the dead, showing that his death had fully paid the penalty of sin and had fully conquered the power of sin, which is death. So the resurrection showed sin's penalty has been paid and sin's power has been broken, which is the best news in the world for those of us who are dead in sin, isn't it? So God highly exalted him by raising him from the dead, and then God gave him the name which is above every name. Now what is that name? Well, look at verse 11. We can see what the name is. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's the name above every name. And don't misunderstand. It's not that at this point Jesus became God. Okay? He had always been God from eternity past. It's that at this point, God revealed him fully and honored him totally as Lord. See, all through the Old Testament, Jesus' glory was hidden. And even in the time during the Gospels when he was on earth, his glory was veiled. Remember the transfiguration? Just gave a little little glimpse of that. But again, it was veiled during his time on the earth too. But here, now, the Father lifts the veil off of his Son. Look at my Son! He is the rightful Lord of the universe. He has died to save humanity. Humanity! He's your Lord! Love his Lordship. Love your Savior. He is the Lord of all people. He is the Lord of humanity. He is the Lord of the universe. Honor him as Lord, is what God the Father is saying. So what does this mean for us? It means that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is your Lord. He's the rightful authority over me. He's the rightful authority over you. He's the rightful authority over all of us. Now, not everyone owns up to this. Okay, Because of our sinfulness, we easily want to make our own decisions and live our own life and 
We'd like to take the credit. We'd like a little bit of pride. Thank you. We, we want to go our own way. We think we know better than what God has said. So not everyone owns up to Christ's lordship. And yet the day is coming, Paul says in this passage, when everyone will admit that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Okay, look at how Paul says that in verses 10 through 11. Start reading in verse 9 to get the flow of thought. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, does that mean that that everyone is saved? No, it's not what it means. And the reason is because in Romans chapter 14, Paul is describing this exact same scenario. We don't have time to turn there now, but read it this afternoon if you want to. It's very helpful. But Paul's describing the same setting in Romans 14. And in Romans 14, some of those, it's clear, who bow their knees before Jesus as Lord and confess him as Lord are not saved and end up facing eternal judgments. So this group, all of humanity, kneeling before him or bowing before him as Lord, confessing him as Lord, contains both the saved and the unsaved, both believers and unbelievers. That's, that's the picture that Paul is describing here in this passage. So here's what's going on. Everyone's going to admit that Jesus Christ is Lord on that final day, but not everyone's going to do this gladly. Not everyone's going to do this joyfully. Because those who've lived their lives without submitting themselves to Christ, without trusting Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, without loving Him and worshiping Him and honoring Him, those who've lived their lives without submitting to Christ, in disobedience to Christ, they will bend their knee with weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth because they know that they've been disobedient, they know they've rebelled against him, and they're going to face eternal judgment. That's part of that group of people. That's why God has you here this morning, because if, if today, if now, you are not submitting to Jesus Christ, he loves you. He wants you hearing this now. He wants you to see who Jesus Christ is in history, eyewitness, historical documents. He wants you to see who Jesus Christ is, so you turn to him. Help me, forgive me, change me. And he will. (laughs) When I was a senior in high school, somewhere before my senior year, I was a mess. I mean, I looked like a pretty good kid on the outside, but my heart, you, you would have been shocked. And he changed my heart. He forgave me of my sin. He filled me with himself. I knew him. He'll do that for anybody. No one has sinned too much, just like Ian was saying this morning. No one is too far off. No one has, has, is, is so unspiritual. He doesn't care how spiritual you are. He'll make you spiritual by his power. He'll forgive you. He'll change your heart. He'll fill you. He'll satisfy you. He'll help you. All we need to do is just say, help me. I need a savior. And he moves in and he will change you and forgive you. So that's why he has you here. Because some of you are not submitting to Jesus Christ. Some of you are not obeying him. I was there too. We've all been there. Okay? 
But some of you are still there. And he has you here this morning, so you'll hear this loving warning from the God of the universe because he wants you saved. He wants you forgiven. He wants you to turn to Jesus Christ and trust him today. So that's some of this group, some of the every knee that will bow and every tongue that will confess. And then there's another part of that group, the other part. It's those of you who, by God's grace, have had your hearts changed. So you love Jesus' lordship. You love him as your savior. You, you long to obey him. You're not perfect, but your, your heart passion is to obey him. And when you stumble and sin, you turn back and he forgives you. And that's the, the bent of your life, to love your savior, to love your Lord, to love Jesus' lordship. And for you, kneeling before, bowing before, his, before Jesus as Lord will be your joy. You'll kneel before him with joy. And proclaiming that he's Lord will be your joy. Say, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. Thank you. So the the big question here is, which group are you in? It's very black and white. It's like being pregnant. You know, either are or you aren't. Okay? It's not like, well, you know, yesterday I was here, but now I'm, no, 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 no. You are or you aren't. Okay, it's not that you're perfect. None of us here are sinless. I've sinned this morning. Okay, but, but my heart is saying, Jesus, I trust you. Help me. Change me. Fill me. I want to obey you. I love your lordship. Help me. That's the difference. So you either are trusting him and submitting to him, or you are not. So please be honest. Satan right now is trying to befuddle you. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. No! You either are or you're not. And he has you here this morning so that you are. Wait, did I get those right? Okay, so that, so that you will submit to him and trust him. That's why he has you here this morning. So here's my, my plea to you. Look at who Jesus is. Look at him. Look at his love for you. No love like Jesus' love. Look at his willingness to become a man, to humble himself from being fully God. He never stopped being God, but he laid aside that and became a man. And then to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at his love for you. Look at his goodness. Look at his beauty. Look at his majesty. Look at his glory. Isn't it right that he is the Lord? Isn't it completely right that God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name? It's absolutely right. He is the Lord. So, submit to his lordship. Trust his lordship. Love his lordship. He will help you. He will forgive you. He will strengthen you. He will fill you. He will satisfy you. But what we need to do is turn to him I love your lordship. You are the Lord. It's right that you're Lord. I'm not the Lord. You're the Lord. I want to humble myself before you. Come and help me. Change me. Forgive me. Save me. And he will. He will. And then for those of you who are trusting Christ, for those of you who are submitted to his will, he wants you to see and to feel a taste of the joy that will be yours when you Bow before him as your Lord in that final day, face to face, 
and when you say, when you confess, you are Lord. Because at that moment, I promise you, I promise you, based on the authority of the word, I promise you, every trial that you endure through this life will be worth it. And every battle against sin, every, God, help me, I want to do this, and I know it's wrong, every every battle against sin, all the effort and the labor of fighting off sin will be completely worth it. And all the suffering that you suffer, any persecution for being a bold witness will be completely worth it. And you will gladly bow the knee before Jesus as your Lord, and you will gladly confess, you are my Lord. You're worth it all. You've been worth it all. And you'll be welcomed into heaven. Now, this morning, we're going to have a baptism, water baptism. And this is a time where we get to celebrate and observe three of our young ladies as they profess publicly their faith in Jesus Christ, that they are submitting their lives to him, trusting him as their savior, their lord, their treasure. And so Patty, Jason, why don't you guys come on up? And they're going to lead us in a song as we prepare our hearts for this. And let me pray for this time. Lord, we ask now, that for the three young ladies that are getting baptized and for all of us, Lord, that we would each see even more clearly through this baptism who you are, Jesus Christ, how right it is that you are the Lord, and how we all need to submit to you afresh and trust you afresh. So work this into our hearts now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.